let me start here because I think my inter- some of my introductory comments will be made during uh, the message just by jumping right into our main passage of Scripture. Is that okay? And, um, and so let me read these early verses from Isaiah chapter 61. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead instead of a spirit of fainting. Let me just pause here. It's my understanding you, uh, and maybe there's been some interruptions here or there, but basically you've been in a season where you've been um, going through the gospel of Luke. Is that correct? So those verses are probably familiar to you, right? Um, Those are the verses that Jesus, early in his ministry, when he came into the synagogue, this is Luke chapter 4, so not that far back in your study, the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened up to this passage, and he read this passage, and he said, today these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, I am the one who Isaiah was prophesying about, and this prophecy, this um, proclamation of the favor of God on my life as the the Messiah, the the coming one who would bring forward all the promises of God. We we hear uh, Paul write about our yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He said, these things are fulfilled in your hearing. And so this is, this is beautiful. This is amazing. And it, and it not only shows the work of Jesus, but it shows the, the inclination of God towards us as manif- manifested in Jesus Christ. A world that deserved only judgment, that deserved only the consequences of our sin, yet Jesus came and brought redemption. This is the, this is the big story, right? The, the story that's talked about in the, that Paul, for example, references in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or our trespasses against us or against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It's such a beautiful thing. This is the good news. Amen? All right, so would you pray with me, Jesus? Uh, We just honor you. We turn our hearts our face to you. We invite you to be at work in our lives as we open up the scripture and we pray 
today that they would testify in fresh and meaningful ways about you and about your heart for us as followers of you. God, would you um, just be at work uh, in me and us uh, as we engage with your word, and we pray that you'll be glorified from this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message is Oaks of Righteousness, and it's drawn from now these next verses at the end of verse 3 of Isaiah 61 and into verse 4. It says this, They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Wow. Now, there's a big shift in verse 3. It's interesting even that uh, in, in however the, the text has been written and interpreted, it's interesting that verse 3, uh, you know, starts where it starts and ends where it ends. Because if you notice in verse 1, we start a momentum that's a lot of personal pronoun, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And Jesus makes it clear that the me is referring to him. And it goes on about his ministry. It goes on about all the things that he will do and all the things that he is about. And some have even referred to these verses as Jesus' mission statement. And then suddenly there's a shift in verse 3, and now the pronoun goes from me to they. It goes from individual to corporate. I want to encourage you to look at your neighbor and say, they is us. They is us. Suddenly, in these verses, somehow we are welcomed into the very story of the work of God that he has started in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 5. Is it this incredible story of what God has been doing in reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus, not counting our trespasses against us, but redeeming and restoring and reconciling us to God that we have been invited into the grand story of the gospel of God and the good news about Jesus Christ. And the me has become a they, and the they is us, Redemption Hill, here in Santa Rosa and Sonoma County. That's a great chance to say amen. This is amazing. This is beautiful. And and I just want to, because, you know, I was praying for this morning and around this time, and so I just want to venture out of my notes a little bit. And I see, I see you're with me. I see smiles. I see encouragement, and, and it's good. And I, I just want to encourage you. I just want you to know that the, the they really is us, and that God really does have you here for a reason and that you really do have a purpose, and that you really are making an impact, and that you can't 
judge things always by how they seem. And that God is at work in this place. And I want to encourage us to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. To remember the bigger story of the good news about Jesus Christ and to dive into it and to rehearse it and to learn it afresh and to test it. I am so grateful that what I am encouraging you to do, you do. I am standing behind a pulpit where the word of God is proclaimed with power, where the scriptures are taken seriously and there's study and there's wrestling and there's a desire to be faithful to the word of God, not just to the individual particulars, but to the bigger story about who Jesus is and what has happened through his birth and life and death, burial and resurrection and ascension and that all those things together help us understand what this whole thing is all about and why we're here. And I want to encourage us that, that it's important to continue to talk about these things and invest our life in these things because here's the thing, when we lose sight of the bigger picture, then we get in trouble. Then we get in trouble. I was thinking this morning of the story of the Emmaus Road in Luke 24. I don't have a slide for this, but, but I just, I just want to bring this forward. And I'm really bringing it forward as an encouragement for us but, it, but it's also an understanding of, of why I carry such a burden. I love the body of Christ. I love the church uh, around the world. But here in Sonoma County, this is where I've been called. I'm concerned for us. And, and not putting myself forward as an expert, just I've, got, I've had the chance to, to um, get a broad perspective of the body of Christ. I have been honored to speak on a Sunday morning at over 30 churches in Sonoma County. And so I, I see things, and I'm concerned for us. I don't say that in judgment, but what I'm saying is that in the story of Luke 24, it's, it's the chapter, you know, it's the resurrection. And then it's got this story beginning in verse 13 uh, about the Emmaus Road, right? You know the Emmaus Road encounter, right? And so there's these two disciples, and they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And so it's called the Emmaus Road. Now, I'll just give you my interpretation of it. Is the story, the Emmaus Road story is not the story of a walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. The Emmaus Road story is the story of a walk from Jerusalem to Jerusalem. Because these two disciples are they're people that Jesus died for. They're people that Jesus has had and has a relationship with. They're people that Jesus loved. And God wanted them in Jerusalem. The story has a bunch of good news in it. We can assume that they were there in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room at Pentecost. We can assume that they were part of the early exploits of the early church, but it almost didn't happen. 
Because as they left Jerusalem, they were discouraged. They were despondent. They were confused. They were tired. They were in despair. And so, and so they were leaving where God wanted them to be. And God in his love, Jesus in his love for them, he comes alongside them and he walks with them. And he begins to go through the scripture with them and reframe and reacquaint them with the bigger story, with the gospel narrative. And as he does it, their heart starts to burn within them. And, and suddenly they're walking with Jesus and they come to Emmaus, right? The Emmaus house. And they want to host Jesus. They want Jesus with them and they invite him in with them. And it's this picture of their hearts coming awake again to the good news of the gospel and their desire to, to have Jesus in their lives and they have a relational encounter with him around the table and their eyes are open afresh. He is the risen Christ. And because of that, they are reinvigorated in their mission and they are restored to Jerusalem where God wants them. That's a powerful story in itself. But, but I just want to encourage us with this simple fact that when we lose touch with the bigger story, we can begin to wander from the places and from the things that God wants us to be about. We become in danger in those ways. And I... Um, I was like, I don't want this to come off wrong. I just, uh, blessings to the uh, Ibeglin family, right? I, I don't want this to come off in the, in the wrong way, right? But over the, the, over the last season, there have been tens of thousands of Christians leaving the Bay Area. I was just in another part of the country this week, and I could not believe the way we were talked about here. And it's true, like, this is tough. And we've been through challenging things, right? But I just want to encourage us to remember the big story because God has us here for a reason. And he's at work doing amazing things in Sonoma County. I want to remind you that in Luke 24, that because those disciples were disconnected from what God was at work doing. I don't want to judge them. How could they have seen no one? I mean, what God did in Jesus Christ, right, through the cross, we know like it was just totally unexpected. But the, the bigger point is being this, that they, because they lost touch of that, even when they heard testimony that Jesus was risen, they were still taking off. The good news was not, or, or what was going on could not penetrate their heart because of their discouragement. And so we've got to remain connected to the truth of God's word and the gospel in our life because this isn't just about, I'm not just talking about geographical stuff. I'm, I'm talking about putting our hope and our affection onto things and giving our time to things. That's not what God has for us because we're just discouraged and, and we're just confused and, and we've lost the plot of what the good news is all about. Am I talking to the right people here? And so I want to encourage you, Redemption Hill, I know that this is a place where Jesus Christ is exalted and the gospel is 
proclaimed and the word of God is seen as an anchor for our hope so that we can be who we're called to be and do what we're called to do to be part of this incredible story. Guys, God is reconciling Sonoma County to himself. He hasn't given up on this place. He's not stopped doing miracles here. He's not stopped drawing people to himself in this place. And he has proclaimed, as surely as I live, Sonoma County is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. And so, on a regular basis, he's calling us back from Emmaus to Jerusalem so we can be part of the story of what he's going to be doing. And so this morning, as I talk about Oaks of Righteousness, I, I want to encourage you through this picture of how God's at work. Now, some of you might love some of the stuff that I'm going to do as I talk about Oaks. Others, you may not be so interested, but the bigger picture in this is that God is reconciling Sonoma County to himself. And he's invited the they, the us, to be part of that process. God's message through Isaiah is a promise of rebuilding, renewing, and restoring what's been destroyed, ruined, and neglected. That's what he's saying when it says that we're going to rebuild ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated and renew the ruined cities. It's a proclamation of the fact that God is in this process of taking what is broken and defiled and seems like it's beyond repair and putting it back together in a way that brings him glory. It, you can, it, I don't have time this morning, but as you go into the, the original language here, it's talking about, about places that have been ruined for so long that the ivy has grown up around them. And, and it just seems this is the way it's always been and it's not able to be fixed. It will never change. And God's saying, no, I'm gonna plant oaks of righteousness and it will be changed. It's talking about the, the places where where the work of the enemy has extracted and, and taken all the good out of those places so it's depleted and left just like an empty hole. And God's saying, no, I'm, I'm not just gonna fill that hole. I'm gonna replenish the good that's been extracted from it. This is going to be a place of good again. It's going to be a place of life again. It's going to be a place of dwelling uh, again of the people of God, a place of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, why oaks? Why does it say oaks of righteousness? Do you know that oaks are a keystone species? Here in Sonoma County, they are absolutely essential to our ecology. Sonoma County, at least at one time, I know there's ongoing studies about all this stuff, we were the second most biodiverse county in all of the United States in terms of variety of life. Isn't that amazing? With our, with, uh, you know, we're, we're just, we're, we're incredibly diverse with the oak woodlands and the redwoods and our birds and the, the wetlands. The Laguna de Santa Rosa is an amazingly rich and diverse because of its wetlands and all the, the ocean and the coast. We're the second most biodiverse uh, county in the, United, in the United States. In the keystone species, like California, we have like an embarrassment of riches when it comes to trees. The oldest trees 
they think in the world of the bristlecone pine, California. The biggest trees that they've identified in the world, the sequoias, right? Like in, in Yosemite, California. The tallest trees in the world, the coast redwoods, California. And yet, I would submit to you that maybe the most important trees in all of California are the oaks. See, what a keystone species means, it's an architecture term, right? And if you see an arch, right, we talk a lot about foundations, and we should. The Bible talks about Jesus as the chief cornerstone, right? So we think a lot about how structures are held together by their foundation. But in an archway, right, the structure of that arch from, um, from top to bottom, it has a very strategic stone called the keystone. It's in the middle of the archway. And if you remove that keystone, the entire structure crumbles. What they're saying about oaks is if that you remove oaks from the ecology of Sonoma County, the entire ecosystem of life will begin to crumble and be gone. And what is being said here is that we, who are part of what God's doing here in Sonoma County as those called out ones, that ecclesia, that group of people who have seen the miracle that happens, the newness of life that happens, if any man or woman is in Christ, right? They are a new creation. Second Corinthians 5 that we've been talking about. When that miracle happens, it's like we're being planted as an oak of righteousness for the rebuilding work of God wherever he's planted us. Let me just get specific around this. Why oaks? Well, oaks can thrive in dry, nutrient-poor soil and transform the place where they're planted. Does that sound a little bit like some of the spots of Sonoma County? They're amazing. They thrive in dry, nutrient-poor soil. And as a result of their life and life cycle, that land where they are becomes full of life, so much life that it's set apart. In Sonoma County, we're among the most biodiverse in all of the nation. Over 5,000 microbes and insects have their life cycle directly connected to oaks. Over 2,000 plants and different expressions of vegetation. Over 168 different types of butterflies and moths. The bird, uh, because of all the butterflies, moths, and insects, the bird number is in the hundreds in that way. And over 80 mammals have their life cycle directly tied to oaks. There is no tree in all of North America that even comes close. That even comes close. And here, the prophet Isaiah across the ages proclaims, they will be called oaks of righteousness. It's good news. But it's hard to understand a little bit. Right now, we've got an oak crisis in Sonoma County. I'm not just talking about the disease of sudden oak death, right, that's going after us. I'm talking about the fact that our culture does not appreciate oaks. Anyone here think they're beautiful? I just think there's so, a lot of people are so beautiful, but they don't really become beautiful till they're big and mature. 
They don't really become beautiful till they're big and mature. And that's what they got going against them. We've ripped a bunch out for housing. We've ripped a bunch out for vineyards. You know, we've done all of that. But, but the other thing is that we just don't plant them. We don't plant oaks. And you know why? Because we are a microwave culture. It takes too long. See, an oak around here, many of them have roughly a 300-year lifespan. For the type of oak that's really going to be the ecosystem-changing oak, that lifespan is roughly three symmetrical phases of 100 years, which means if I plant one of these beautiful big valley oaks that I like there on the Santa Rosa Junior College campus, it won't be at its full maturity like I see on the Santa Rosa Junior College campus till like my great-grandkids are adults. And that works against our culture. Do any of you ever kind of get, it's not that God can't do things quickly. We know he can and does all the time, but any of you kind of get the sense that God's time frame is just different than yours? Man, I'm at the right spot. I'll just take that laugh as a big amen. All right, so let's talk quickly. I just have a little bit longer here. Uh, Let's talk quickly about these three phases and what we can learn about God's call on us as Oaks of Righteousness here in Sonoma County. The first phase, the first uh, of these symmetrical phases is the phase of formation. It's the first hundred years of the oak as it's growing up into its full maturity. And there's so much that I can say uh, about oaks, but we're going to just focus on two things really quick here. One is that oaks, one of the things that makes them so special and allows them to do what they do and to become the force that they become in the ecosystem is that when they start, they prioritize what's unseen, not what's seen. In comparison to other trees, oaks put way more energy and emphasis into their root system than they do their sprout and leaving. They grow so much slower in terms of what we can see, but they grow so much more in terms of what we can't see. Just in a, in a general framework and understanding, and I'm condensing a lot of stuff here, but, but the oak in its first year, it grows multiple times more underground than it does above ground. And ultimately, that process continues in its formative years because, because an oak is designed at the minimum to have about uh, a root structure underground that's twice as big as its crown above ground. So when you see an oak tree above ground, right, you can go that same distance more all the way around the outside to understand how far out its roots grow. And that's only in that season, uh, season of maturation. There are times where they find an oak's roots have outpaced its crown by three, four, five, up to seven times broader underground than above ground. And part of the key thing about this is that they are absolute wonders 
in terms of the size and amount of weight and what they can do with those crazy ill-formed branches that are going out in all sorts of dimensions that just make architects scratch their heads. They're just an absolute wonder. But the, the key thing is that they can, they can extend their arms hundreds of feet with thousands of pounds because they are so incredibly rooted because their roots are not just about getting water and nutrients for the soil. They're about anchoring them to be able to extend their branches out over the ground that they're going to be making transformation over. And so their roots are as much about their strength and structure for abiding as they are about consuming and getting what they need and want to feed them. This is like our hidden life in our heart with God, our prayer life, our engagement in the word, our investment in understanding that it's not about showing off and being seen as something that we're not. It's about inviting Jesus to come and do a work in our heart in the hidden place to do that work that draws us deeper into relationship, that shapes and forms our character, that helps us truly get rooted and anchored in him. Let's the gospel truly take work in our heart that we prioritize those things, recognizing that if we will prioritize the things that God is prioritizing, he will do the things in us and through us that we could never do by ourselves. It's why we are not grass culture. See, in the scripture... The righteous are regularly compared to trees and the wicked are regularly compared to grass. And the element of grass, one of the key qualities in that distinction is that grass springs up fast but has no root. But trees spring up slow and their roots are meant to go down, right, into the rivers of, of someone. Am I talking to the right people? Secondly, around formation, I want to take them a little bit of time here, is that um, for an oak to be rightly allowed to mature, it needs to be tested by fire. Pretty much in the scripture, anything that you see that's meant to last for a long time has to go through fire. It's a very interesting thing. has to be tested. Grass culture doesn't do so well with fire right? Grass doesn't do well with fire. Oaks actually need fire. They need fire. They need good fire. They need fire to come through consistently to remove the things that would not only compete for resources, but when we're talking about not just grass, but other types of trees growing up in and around brush and bushes and all of that, the stuff that that in, you know, the Cal Fire, they talk about ladder fuel, right? Those little things growing up along the oaks that if they're not removed, if they're not dealt with, can cause any fire to become bad fire, right? Those things that compete for space, they have to be eliminated for an oak to mature. Oaks are very interesting in that they can be crowded, Right? One of the things you notice when you see a mature oak out in the field is it often has a pretty symmetrical crown. The branches might be all crazy, but the edges around are pretty good, right? But then you see an oak where it's got another tree growing up around it, and it's just one side of the circle, right? 
Am I talking to the right people? You, can you picture this? Right? And, and if we don't, if we don't have that good fire eliminating the latter fuel, right, we are going to be ill-formed. We're going to be ill-formed. And we will not have the capacity, right, to provide fruitfulness, which is where we're going next, to the life around us that God has designed us to. And so there's testing that works and shapes our character. It's why James is saying, hey, when you go through testing and trial, there should be a joy in it because we recognize that even though it's difficult, there are things being removed that if they are not challenged will cause you to be ill-formed in your faith, in your life, and for the things that I want to do with you and through you. And this is a congregation that has had a lot of testing, a lot of trial. And I want to tell you, not, man, well, I'll just be careful, but I just want to say thank you for responding in the midst of the trial and testing in the way that you have, because I believe God is forming you for incredible fruitfulness, that God is forming you for significant ministry. That, as I just said, when I talked earlier about the roots, that things are not always as they seem, and that God has been busy doing work sometimes in unseen places to prepare you for ministry and for fruitfulness and for other seasons besides just the season of forming and testing. Some of you may want to say amen to that. Secondly, after the season of formation is the season of fruition. This is that season where the tree is now mature and it's just about the incredible good that it does. And again, for the sake of time, I'll just go quickly, but the, the two elements here, one is just oaks have absolutely, they're prolific in their fruitfulness when it comes to producing acorns. And some of you know that because you've got oaks on your property or near your property. We just had a masting year that was incredible. So let me just confirm what some of you already know. Did you know that oaks produce more acorns in the United States? Acorns are like a nut, right? They're the fruit or the food of the oak. More acorns in the United States are produced by oaks than every single other type of nut combined. They're prolific. Their capacity for fruitfulness when they will go through the process of being formed and mature. And an oak, on a given year, a mature oak will produce 700,000 leaves. And their leaves are as fruitful as their acorns in terms, of, uh, in terms of supporting life. And their leaves are amazing because they have this quality where they endure. There's something about the slowness of the formation of the oak that creates an endurance in every expression of the oak. So when an oak leaf falls, it lasts on the ground more than three times longer than the leaves of the other trees around them that fall. And because it lasts longer, it supports life uninterrupted throughout the year. And because it lasts longer, it has the capacity to catch the water that falls in the rainy seasons to hold it so it doesn't run off, to replenish the aquifer under the oak. 
and then to break down slowly to enrich the soil in ways that other leaves cannot. And oak leaves have the capacity to support a broader level of life than most other trees, than any other tree that I'm aware of in North America. In fact, they say, I think that an oak supports three times more variety of life than an elm. So you can't just rip out a 100-foot oak and replace it with a 100-foot elm and not totally destroy the ecosystem. And the scripture is saying, you are oaks of righteousness. Do not grow weary in doing good. Recognize that your prayers last, that your words of encouragement last, that the things that you do don't just feed in the moment, but because of Christ in you, they take root and they linger and last. They are there to hold living water. When it come, comes and emerges, suddenly the grace of God is held by an encounter, right, that's been had with your neighbor or the person at the school thing. I was, this last week, please, not about me, but just, just an example from my life. Two weeks ago, I was, I was at a lunch and I sit next to this woman and she says, I, I recognize you. Says, did, did you have kids who went through the Mark West school system at the Mark West Junior High? Friends, I, I had not thought about that in years. Yes. Did you coach middle school volleyball? Yes. Said, my son was on your seventh grade team. Said, he is still impacted from your coaching. I just thank you. I wanted to say thank you. Your voice in his life at that time meant so much. Friends, I haven't thought about that in years. I thought those leaves were long gone, but they weren't there, right? They weren't long gone. God was holding those things and that encounter became an encounter that opened the door for even more conversation. And please, this is not about me, obviously. It's about what God wants to do with us if we will uh, submit to his process of making us oaks of righteousness. Finally, facilitation. You know, uh, they say that an oak takes 100 years to grow up into maturity. And then for 100 years, it, it just rains in all its grandeur. But then they say it takes about 100 years for these amazing oaks to die. And in that process, their fruitfulness takes on this amazing quality. Suddenly, right, as, as they begin to change and age, there's this incredible type of condescension. You, you recognize sometimes some of these older oaks because their branches start to droop. Some go all the way down and along the ground. Nod your head, right? You've seen that before. And it's this incredible picture of where they create access for new life that's coming up and to facilitate. Suddenly, there's places where maybe there was an injury where they get hollowed out and now they become home for a beehive which is incredibly important, or a squirrel's nest, which is incredibly important. And what has happened is they've dwelled there for hundreds of years, is that the life in the area knows, if I want to be sustained, this is where I need to show up. Oaks are, they're incredibly collaborative. They don't compete with one another. They're, they're amazing at supporting one another through their root structure, hybridizing together so that 
They can work in different topographies and in this place of facilitating life. They, they not only do work in their own place, but they um, make it easier for the life that's supposed to be there to dwell and flourish and for other oaks to get rooted and be in that maturation process. You see literally in their lives and action what Paul was instructing Timothy, the church was to look like as older men are encouraging younger men in their formation into godly manhood. And older women are encouraging younger women in their godly formation into godly womanhood. And they do all of these things in a way where whatever the part of their life cycle is, they are being oaks of righteousness that is bringing transformation to the dry, nutrient-poor soil where they've been planted. And that's really the heart because I'm a Sonoma County guy, born and raised here. And you know what I've heard pretty much all my life here? Sonoma County is hard soil for the gospel. It's dry and nutrient poor. It's not a place where churches thrive. But I'm standing in a church full of oaks of righteousness. And I know, based on how I see oaks function out here, that God's helping us function in here in ways where we are beginning to be a faithful presence that is changing and transforming the ecosystem spiritually of Sonoma County for his glory. And I'm seeing it in the foster care system. I'm seeing it in the schools. The stories like Tim shared are absolutely amazing. We had a school official record thank you videos to churches who are working in the schools for their presence saying, we want you on campus. We had Santa Rosa City Schools this year give the first time ever, they said, we're going to give partnership awards, thank you awards to organizations in the community who are helping us. And they gave, they gave them, a bunch of them, to the churches. I remember being in a meeting 15 years ago now where I, I, I had been part of this gang task force. I think I've shared this here before. And there was an 80-page document about youth issues in the city of Santa Rosa and the resources that were there to help them and how we're going to move forward. And the churches weren't mentioned once. But I want to tell you that today, that on multiple fronts, our community and its leaders are saying, the churches are present in our community. They are a source of good, and we don't want to move forward without them. Just two months ago, our Department of Emergency Management in the county of Sonoma said, we recognize that there is no equivalent to our local churches in our capacity to help our community respond to and recover from disaster. As we look over the last five years, what we see is an incredible testimony of our local churches. And so we want to do something that is not usually done. We want to establish a relationship with you where when we open our emergency operations center, that the churches have a seat at the table from the very beginning at the highest level to be processing with us what's going on in our community, what the needs are, and how we're going to respond. 
I, I'm not trying to make more of this. It is a praise of the Lord. More of this than it is. I'm not trying to, you know, put lipstick on a pig, as they say sometimes. But what I am trying to say is God has planted his people here as oaks of righteousness, and we need to remember the good news. We need to rehearse what God is about in us and through us because I really believe that he is busy reconciling Santa Rosa to himself and that he's going to get glory here in incredible ways. And I want to thank you because I see here a congregation that is in faithful pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ, of relationship with him, that cares about being disciples and is interested in being faithful evangelists about the greatest story that has ever happened ever and that can be rooted in hope and can have a good witness in this place and can be the oaks of righteousness that Jesus said we are. Amen. You can sum up these three elements in Psalm 37.3. And so I'll just close with this lesson. Psalm 37.3. Hear this as oaks of righteousness. Trust in the Lord. And do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfully. Thank you and God bless you, Redemption Hill.